the whole person comes to work. It's not just the part of the person that knows the job that comes to work. So it comes back to companies. If you really want to be, um, you know, an employer of choice or you want to be seen as a leading company in your space, you have to cater as much as business is business and you're there to make a profit. You have to remember that you hire humans. Welcome to the What Next Podcast, hosted by Sean Reed, where we pay it forward through conversations. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey to discover what's next for you. Greener pastures is a myth. Yeah. It really is the color of your glasses while you're seeing it. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. So coming back to what I was mentioning about my mentee, she, she, she started her first day of work just today. And um, I, we've been talking just back and forth. And I said to her, okay, look, so you're going into your first job. So she got the job. Yay. She got the <laughs> job, right? And um, so, of course, she's full of energy and she's vibrant and she's bubbly. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I can't wait. And, you know, so and so. And I said to her, all right, so now we're going to manage some expectations. Mm-hmm. First things first, coming back to what you said, you're going to go in and you're going to see a number of things that people are doing whether the company is doing this as a policy or this is the way that they, this is a procedure that they follow. And you're probably going to see your bright, fresh eyes coming in that, yeah, but they could, have, they could do it right. so much better this way. Tomorrow, your first day of work is not the time to tell them that. Correct. You Correct. have to go in observing and learning. That's your job. Yeah. Because you don't just want to jump up and say, oh, you know, I observed that this and that and that and that. It's the quickest way to, 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 yep. to earn enemies, right? Yep, I know this. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like you did based on what major, you shared, <laughs> right? Some major mistakes. There you go. And so did I at Port Authority too. I was like, you know, guys, I think we could... Pra-. And they're just like, no, no, this is how we do it. This, this is how we do it. And yeah. this is... So the important thing as a young person going into a new business or a new space is, yes, you may have bright ideas, but always stop to find out why they do things the way they do them. Understand who the key players are. Understand what the wide scale impact is. Mm -hmm. When you have spent enough time understanding what it is that you're looking at, and you still see areas that can be impacted or improved, then you have a little bit more (laughs) leverage (laughs) to go in and say, look, and even how you approach is is, is very, very important Mm -hmm. because you can have the best message, but delivered in the incorrect way, you've shot yourself in the foot and probably locked down any chance of you being able to make any impact there after that, right? So you have to also think about your audience. Everything is marketing. You have to think about who is receiving the information and how they prefer to receive information. Um, You have some people who are just happy-go-lucky and great and open and energetic, and they just want to see everything working well. And then you can say, hey, you know, I I was thinking, da-da-da-da-da-da. But you may have someone possibly of another generation who's been there since the company start and probably wrote the book on how the company operates. Exactly. That person is not a person to jump up and exactly. say, hey, look, I think you need to change exactly. this. Because, da, 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 da. Right? 
you need to now have a different approach with that person. So I have been here for X amount of time. Make sure that X amount of time is long enough for you to have actually <laughs> properly formed an opinion. Exactly. And I've noticed that X, Y, and Z happens. Can you share with me why we do it this way? So you invite the person to, to school you. Yeah. To feel like they're in a position yeah. of authority to share with you and to help you to learn. You've now opened a door. Allow them to speak. Listen. I said to her just last night, listen more than you speak. And not just tomorrow, for the next maybe month. <laughs> right? Yeah. You see the things that need to be improved? Write your notes and keep them nearby. But don't jump up and start telling them what they need to do. You are new. Yeah. You have to learn. So your superpower right now is going to be learning and observing. And then know when you've started the conversation with a more difficult um, or, or a, 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 less, a less open personality, then you can say, okay, listen. So, okay, so this is why. All right. So, you know, would you be willing to consider? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, you've put it out there. You never said. You never said. Right. Um, but you don't push. Take it time. Let it simmer. The person may come back to you and say, hey, you know, I was thinking about what you said the other day. So there's a way to do it. Mm -hmm. So these are the gems as you know, we were throwing that, that, yeah. that, that word around earlier before we started the conversation that I think will, would, could make a huge difference to some of our young people going into the job market and into the labor force now. That, and, that's, and, and we're here to teach them from our mistakes, Yeah. right? So, so <laughs> I think it's a big, big deal. And as I think I mentioned to you when we were talking the other day, just even about how someone might present themselves coming into an interview, they, 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 a lot of persons don't realize that they have ended the interview before they've started yeah, it. Yeah. And the sad thing is you could have a diamond yeah. wrapped in those jeans and the tear-up jeans and the, and, the, and the shirt and the, you know, whatever, um, that don't look very corporate. The person could have a brilliant mind and they have no idea that they've literally caused the potential recruiter or hire to make an about turn just by how you look. So guess what? Give yourself the fighting chance. Conform a little bit, <laughs> right? Do the done thing. Dress properly for your interview. And, and the benefit too is that they have so much information at their fingertips. When you and I were coming up, we had to go talk to somebody and go down a, go down a yeah. library. Tell yeah. come, go book up yeah. some book or something yeah. and look in an encyclopedia, yeah. right? Now them just jump on them and say, hey, Google. Yeah. Right? So so they need to utilize the tools that they have and they also need to listen. I find that a lot of persons coming out now are so used to um, maybe, you know, just saying what they want to say, how they want to say it, and it's received by whomever they're speaking to, their friends or whatever, their family members. When you come out into the working world different ballgame it's so it's funny um so one when persons are leaving high school or university and you're spending your time posting online etc you have to be aware that when when that resume comes across that hiring manager's desk they're probably going to go to google oh they are absolutely type going in to utilize name, the same yes check Instagram, out all the social media Twitter, accounts right and that alone they're going to be reviewing you before and you may even get a call back because they see something that they don't like right and 
I think the biggest lesson I have learned when I was at a previous company, someone said to me, Sean, don't forget that we're a human first. Absolutely. And I will never forget that. Absolutely. Because here I was trying to implement something and she was like, hey, hey, we're human first. Mm -hmm. And so earlier when you said that we should not be you know, blaming an inanimate object called the company, mm -hmm. we're all humans. And that's something that it's, it's the most real, it's the most honest, but also the most humbling thing that you can learn because re when you're in school you're told okay if you learn this and get these grades you're at the top of your class mm -hmm. that means that you're important mm -hmm. and all this stuff that is right for school right you'll get the scholarships right. you'll get the this you'll get the that but is that right for reality great. absolutely not and it's, it's unfortunate but it is true if if there is a hiring manager who's who had a bad morning and the person who bad drove that morning was wearing a yellow shirt. And you and turn you, up to the interview in a, a yellow shirt. shirt. <laughs> right. It sounds Which is not good it's not on good. the part of the hiring manager, but it happens because but we're human, human first. first. Exactly. Right. And so in every interaction at work, you know, maybe you come into work with a bright idea and that person had a bad morning. Mm -hmm. And you're coming with a bright idea and by by just you hinting that how they're doing that the right way, they're upset, they're right. angry, and you probably don't understand why, but it's life because we're human first. And that is something, that's to me, that's one of the biggest flaws in the academic system, that we don't spend enough time teaching people psychology, teaching people relationship skills, mm -hmm. teaching people negotiation skills, because it's all well and dandy to learn how to do something functional, but if you cannot relate to human beings, it's kind of difficult. It's, 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 it's right because you work with people. Unless you're working with machines and you don't say much to anybody outside of morning, evening, and swipe your card, yeah. then you're fine in that, in that <laughs> environment. But yeah. for 80 to 90% of the workforce, that's just not the situation, yeah. right? I'll tell you two things that have impacted me. One, when you hire someone, the whole person comes to work. Everything that's happening at home, everything that's happening in their, in their relationships, everything that's happening in their social life, everything that's happening as it relates to how they feel about whether or not they're hitting their life goals, what's <laughs> happening with their kids at home, them stressing out and so on. And again, the pandemic, I think, just kind of intensified that phenomenon. The whole person comes to work. It's not just the part of the person that knows the job that comes to work. So it comes back to companies. If you really want to be, um, you know, an employer of choice or you want to be seen as a leading company in your space, you have to cater as much as business is business and you're there to make a profit. You have to remember that you hire humans and that your entire company is made up of human beings, right? Your biggest asset is your human capital. Yeah. Your biggest cost is your human capital. Yeah. And that is your also your biggest competitive advantage. They will make or break you. Yeah. So it makes sense to make the investment wherever you can. And to understand and care for the needs of your human employees 
even beyond what makes sense for the job. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, a lot of these companies like how Google, for instance, has been a flagship employer, right. you know, worldwide, at least just from the way that, and I mean, of course, they have the money to do all these fantastic <laughs> things, right? right? But that's one of the reasons why, because they do these totally out of the box things and yeah. companies will look on and say, oh, that's just fluff. No, what they're doing is that they're locking in. Yeah. The loyalty of that employee and ensuring that they give you their best. When they can take them dog to work. When they can take them kids to work. When they can go down to the canteen or cafeteria or whatever and get any kind of ethnic food they feel for that day. You know, these are things that keep people going. I remember there was a conversation I was having around, I think they said, like, because it's, well, sorry that I'm kind of, you know. Um, I think my brain is, my mind is going <laughs> yeah. faster than my mouth is going. Um, I think there was something about, I think like, it's literally like they have a little city then. I remember a little town. Yeah, so you can yeah, get yeah. all the services you need right yeah. there. You want dry cleaning, you want this, you want that, you want to wash your car, you want. And they're like, oh, but, you know, why? And I said, they're brilliant. That's why. You know why? It cuts down the amount of time that they have, that they spend in the commute. Yeah. That could be better used on the job, right. right? From the company's standpoint. And they feel like it's convenient. So if you've ever thought about, if you've ever had an employee who every 15 minutes they need to go on the road to go run some errand, right. well, it helps know that most things are online, right? Banking and whatnot, where you can. But if the things they have to do are within a closer physical proximity to where you work, you'll have less downtime dealing with and if you multiply that factor by however many employees you have think about how many more man hours you have now regained if you provide those conveniences that another company may look on and say oh that's a waste of money no they are literally utilizing and really maximizing what they can get from their employees by giving so Again, not every company can do this, but that is something to keep in mind. But I also think that um, it doesn't have to be expensive. No, it doesn't. It, there are a lot of low fruit, yeah. So let's say in, in the Jamaican context, um, you know, maybe once a month or once a quarter, you're bringing a bank so people can do banking transactions. You're bringing a TAJ so people can pay whatever taxes. You're bringing PICA who will get passport renewal. So, you know, once or once a quarter, you bring in these people mm-hmm. so that your workforce doesn't need to leave right. to stay in traffic, to lie right. up in a bank or wherever not to get something done. And right. the bank wins because they are getting a benefit, they're getting customers, and you win because, again, you have less downtime. Right. You know, if it is that you have... And the employee feels like they're winning too. They're not feeling like it's somebody's winning at their exactly expense. Exactly, right. It yeah. kind of can lose the... Yeah, but they're know. benefiting. Right, they're benefiting. exactly, exactly. Um, if you have a workforce that, let's say, is predominantly male and they like to drink or something like that, they you know, maybe buy some liquor on a Friday evening. Like, there's little things that may not be that expensive, mm-hmm. but it makes me feel as if this is a good place to work. Exactly. You know? And exactly. sometimes we we think to the extreme of our Google, which is pretty awesome, and employers don't realize that you can do things as well right. to make your team Simple things. Maybe, right. maybe have a very structural represent with desk and chairs, buy two couch. Mm-hmm. 
by right. two coach. I two probably, coach, two swing and just put them out in a one little area yeah, where yeah, I'm telling you. And people feel happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe get you, some air. You get some air. <laughs> mm-hmm. You get a coach, you get a PlayStation and they say, Well, we can play some games. Exactly. Just little things that sometimes, you know, that will cost anything, but it's it's choosing to realize that they're humans. Right. And not you know, cogs in the machine. Right. Exactly. And the other thing that I was going to share with you um was that you know, we spoke about, I think you said something about, um, you know, forgive me again, that old age thing is happening and my train of thought is going all over the place. Um, but I remember the point that I was saying, and it was something that you said that, that triggered the thought. When I was in corporate, one of the things that I was most involved in was talent development. And particularly we did, at the, where, where I was, we were responsible for the executive succession plan mm-hmm. for the group. And one of the biggest lessons I learned from that exercise was that um, just because someone is great at what they do in a particular space, in a particular discipline, does not necessarily equate to them being a good leader. Um. And I think it had to do with, you know, you talking about leader. I think there's something you said. Okay. Forgive me. Again, I'm old, right? But that made so much sense to me because I had an opportunity to work with an amazing set of persons, amazing people in their space, a lot of them excellent leaders that just needed to be given the opportunity to lead so that they could really show their stuff Mm -hmm. and by virtue of that you know move up whenever there were opportunities Mm -hmm. and then there were some people who were just great at what they did where they did it yeah and they didn't want to necessarily be leaders they're not the same thing just because you Mm -hmm. are great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um from a, a a competency standpoint you're a great accountant Right, you're an excellent accountant. Would you be the best CFO? Mm, maybe not. So that is you something know? that. So from the HR perspective, so I don't know if it's being addressed, like in HR school or something. Like <laughs> HR works. school. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but um, I've seen it multiple times over. Um, in my discipline, IT, I know where I'm now with engineers, mm-hmm. right? Where somebody's great program in IT. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes a junior programmer, programmer, senior programmer. What's next? Manager. Right. right. And you have some people who run down the manager position mm-hmm. because it comes with more money. Right. So they're running it down. Mm-hmm. But when they get it and you ask them to do in quotes management tasks, mm-hmm. they don't care about it. They don't want to do it. Right. Have meetings with your staff. Why? Talk to your staff. Why? Right. And so what ends up happening is that, as you said, you promote people because you need they've been there for ten years. They mm-hmm. need some more money. Right. Right. And based on and and, and and that it is also an indication that the company thinks that you are doing you well do and that job. you have right. a you have a, you have the capacity to do more. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And but the org structure doesn't have a space for somebody who just wants to be technical. And exactly. Not exactly. And so and they, you have other people who are like, I don't want that job. Mm-hmm. And I remember I used to be like, Yo, what's wrong with you? That this is a good opportunity. Right. 
And I th- I believe, no, I realize that they recognize what they don't want to do. Right. They don't want to have weekly staff meetings. They don't want to do appraisals. Right. They don't want to help you when your head is hurting you. Right. They, if, you come to, if, you, if you come to work sick, they don't care. That's right. not their thing. Right. They do good technical work. Right. And so I don't know if in HR world, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> if <laughs> that's being that addressed because it's I see it as a huge problem everywhere I've gone. I think people, both in companies and and as employees, they they misunderstand what the role of a manager or a leader, and they're really two different things, by the way. A manager is still more technical, more about ensuring that processes and procedures are followed, that you know what you know that the, the goals that we have set are are reached. A great leader does not have to be technically sound in the area that they've been chosen to lead because technically, pun intended or no pun intended, you already have technically sound people in that team. That's the expectation. Your job is no longer about your technical capacity in that space. It is more about your ability to manage and lead human beings to get the best out of those human beings who should, by the way, either be technically sound or on their way to becoming technically sound. There are several big businesses in Jamaica who the heads of those companies did engineering, but they may be leading multinational corporations in that 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 are you know that do several things participate yeah. in several industries banking investments this that and the other it, it you don't need to be a master marketer to manage and get the best out of a high performing team of marketers if you see what i'm saying yeah, it helps but it's not a, an absolute requirement what, and, and I think that has been the mistake of many companies. And I think during the break, we were kind of sharing with each other. One of the, the saddest things I've seen, and it really has to do with how we define capacity to lead. Many companies tend to confuse technical aptitude with leadership aptitude. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Oftentimes, what happens, particularly when you're looking at, for instance, succession planning, I had the, the opportunity to, I think I had shared earlier, to be part of the executive succession planning process for my company mm-hmm. and um, right across the group. And I met some amazing leaders and I met some amazing talents in terms of People, or talent rather, people who were amazing, who were top of their class in terms of marketing, um, finance, HR, you name it, right? But there were also a set of persons who were excellent technical um, employees. They knew their jobs at the back of their hands. They were extremely valuable to the company. The company is built on those people, right? Operating at the highest possible level. But then because it is also, 
you know, it, 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 most companies want to say that they're promoting from within. Mm. So where are you going to promote from? Yeah. The set of technical people. But does it mean, though, that because John Brown is technically astute and he's excellent, he's an excellent marketer, that he's also going to be an excellent chief marketing officer? He could be. He could not be. John Brown may be very happy doing what he knows yeah. is his is his area. He is an excellent marketer. He goes out there. He gets the business. He you know he's he's fantastic at what he does. The difference when you know say to John Brown, we you know you're doing fantastic. We want to promote you to head of marketing. John Brown's job essentially ceases to be that technical area that he's so comfortable with and knows right. at the back of his hand. And now it becomes John Brown, the people manager, the people leader, the unlocker of high potential, the unlocker of high performance. John Brown is going to use very little of his marketing skills in that job because it's no longer his job. Yeah. A lot of times, too, companies say, oh, we want to push John Brown forward because he's fantastic at what he does. But John Brown is not a great leader. You push John Brown forward. John Brown accepts it because it's more money, as we of said. Of course. It's, it's, it's a higher level job. It's more opportunities. But John Brown quickly realizes that he's no longer in his comfort zone. John Brown realizes that he may or may not have the, the desire to lead the team. He was very happy doing what he was doing as that member of the team. Yeah. And that was his legitimate space. And he was doing fine doing that. And now you've said to John Brown, lead this team, take us forward, and so on. And you've now dropped a whole other, <laughs> a yeah. whole other portfolio on poor John Brown. No, John Brown does not have the personality for it. John Brown does not have the desire to do it. John Brown now becomes very frustrated. And you know what you've now done with John Brown's previously high potential team and high performing team? You're now frustrating everybody because yeah. John Brown is not at the top of the stream yeah. and he's not a good leader. So it's now cascading and everybody's feeling it. And then now we now turn around and say to John Brown, you know, you're doing very poorly at this job. We're sorry, we're going to have to let you go because you're just not working out. Yeah, yeah. That is the company doing John Brown a serious disservice. Do we, do companies genuinely have the bandwidth to take on all of that responsibility? They should. That's why it's an HR team. Mm -hmm. So they should. And there are leaders. Keep and, saying and we, we, leaders. We're business partners, right? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the company is worrying about profit, or worrying about these these functional things, getting a product or a service out there. That's priority, and so the, the the concept of taking the time in quotes to understand the employee, to understand what they're going through, and to see if they're the right leading potential. Do companies really? I'm not saying they don't take it seriously, but do they have the time to take it as serious as they should? Can they afford not to? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a very good point. Coming back to what I said, your human capital is your biggest investment. So if you can't take the time to really dip, to, to, to work on your investment and ensure you're getting the best returns, you're probably going to end up in a not so positive space. And you will feel it somewhere. 
you'll feel it somewhere. And it could be that you're, you'll still make the money, but maybe if you did it the other way, you'd make more. Right. You might have more motivated team members. You might have more loyal team members. Your turnover might go down. Your, you know, and so the, 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 the recruiting spend, you're constantly you now refilling and rehiring and so on. That comes at a cost. You know, there are things that you would now be saving in terms of actual spend, as mm. well as increasing as it relates to income with when you have a high-performing team yeah. who is motivated, engaged, and loyal. So it, it, it comes back to that. Can you really afford not to? Yeah, that's a very good point. I don't think companies can afford not to, but it's it's... It's, it's a it's hard, hard. It's, it's a hard, hard It's hard. It's, I can buy 10 more of this thing, which can sell and make money, mm-hmm. or I'm going to hire a soft skills person to find out how you're doing. Here's the funny thing. When you buy those 10 things, who's selling them? The person. Ah. Yeah. So again, who's your priority? Yeah. Because if you're investing in the person, that person would sell 100, yeah. 1,000, 10,000. If that person is not motivated, is not engaged, and is looking to get out as quickly as possible, you're probably only going to sell five of those items. Is money always a motivator? Absolutely not. In fact, it even if it if it starts out as the motivator, that honeymoon is over real fast. <laughs> <laughs> when you see, have you ever seen somebody say, "Oh, I've been promoted to this," and then jump up and they're excited because, "Oh, their money just gone up by five million dollars a year," and then they get into the job and they're miserable. Yeah. yeah. And then they start to really look back and say, "Was this really the best way to go?" And the additional money disappears very quickly too. I'm telling you. And then on top of that, if it add, if it adds additional stress, if it means that you're no longer as healthy as you used to be, all that extra money is going to the doctor's office. Yeah. All right, and, and, and the pharmacy and the wherever else. You had mentioned earlier that you had come to a crossroads where you had to jump out of mm. your 95 situation. <laughs> right. What was <laughs> My that? 95 situation. <laughs> what was that crossroads? Um, that, was, that, that, that is the worst and best thing that has ever happened to okay. me. Is <laughs> how I look at it in hindsight. Um, so we spoke about, you know, journeys and how you could end up on a side road (laughs) that you know felt like a detour until you realized that was really your path yeah and that's exactly what happened to me um so i was doing quite a bit um i had a fairly high stress job in terms of you know we were might i i as i said i was in hr and we had a number of projects that were being done almost concurrently. Hats off to them Mm -hmm. because Grace, I still say we because I still feel like I'm a part of the company Mm -hmm. Um, and I still have a lot of great relationships there. It was one of the best things that they gifted to me. My knowledge and expertise Mm -hmm. um, in a number of very varied areas and the relationships that I built while yeah. there that I still have today. And so we're running a lot of projects. Um, we were setting up a new department. We were taking, we were changing processes. We were doing a whole lot all at once. And um, in addition to that, um, it was just before we underwent a serious restructuring, a very, very, a fairly widespread 
um, you know, um, restructuring exercise across the group, not just in Jamaica, but across the world, wherever they were, you know, um, operating. And in addition to that, I was, I was running a project team. Um, I was on a management development program. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was exactly where traditionally I, I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or where I could have said, you know, if I was to ever think of where's the best place for me to be yeah. at my age right now in this company, I was there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it came with quite a bit of, 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 you know, work. And I had just had my second little one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just a lot going on. As I mentioned too, I was doing my photography. Mm-hmm. So I was at work morning till night because mm-hmm. you know you really it, it it was not a it wasn't a, a walk in the park kind of job right. you, you left there late evenings right. um you know your best time it was downtime mm-hmm. when the phone stopped ringing and yeah. the emails stopped coming in you were able to really sit and settle and get the real work done and so i would be leaving there late in the evenings eight o'clock nine o'clock mm-hmm. when people start talking about four thirty and five o'clock ready to go home i was like yeah man, ready second shift we're going <laughs> Um, but that had its downside. Um, it meant that I was going home to my babies at nine o'clock, mm-hmm. 10 o'clock, um, eight o'clock, seven thirty. Um, I was catching them just before they went to bed. I was begging my husband to keep them up so I could see them before yeah. they went to bed. Um, and then there was the, just the, just the, it was a lot. I, I think I just said that it, it was a lot. And um, there, January 2018, um, my brother had, um, was, was, they were going to christen, um, he and his wife, they were living in Trinidad, still are. And they had their first baby, my niece, and she was to be christened um, on the 20th, 21st, one of them, of January so to add to my stress, <laughs> I was now looking at traveling with children for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a number of different things going on that week. It was just a real, I was fretting about that week, weeks before I got to that week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just said, you know what? I just need to get to Trinidad. I just need to get to Trinidad yeah. and then I'll be on vacation and it'll yeah. be okay. And uh, I got to Trinidad. I survived the week and I was just like, okay. I'm on vacation. Mm-hmm. And the following morning, when we were now getting ready, the christening was on a Saturday morning. I was getting ready to go, and I picked up my camera bag. Mm-hmm. And as I picked up my camera bag to go through the door, my chest just locked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is an asthma attack. I don't have an inhaler. I have not mm-hmm. had an asthma attack in years. Like, really, is this what is going to happen right now? Right here, <laughs> all the way in foreign, like, why? And what was different about that asthma attack was that it came with a whole bout of cold sweat. Mm. And I was like, that's not normal. And then weakness. I had to literally draw myself down the stairs Mm -hmm. to tell my family Mm -hmm. that, look, I'm not feeling so hot. But again, in my head, I'm having an asthma attack. But in true Kerry fashion, I'm like, look, we got to be at that christening. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. We can figure this out after. And I got to the church and took some photos um, and passed out. And them just kind of, you know, threw me in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. 
rush me to a hospital. Trinidad and Jamaica are very similar in that you'd hear about the public hospital and the first thing somebody would say is, no, 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 you do not want to go there. <laughs> because, you know, you're going to wait forever. And if yeah. it's a life and death situation, you know, we really don't want to take that chance. So they sent me to a little boutique hospital that was near to the church that the Christian was happening. And I kept just telling them, or, well, by that time I was, I was pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember seeing and hearing and that was about it. I couldn't speak very much. Mm-hmm. I could not walk. I could not. So they had to wheel me out. It was very dramatic <laughs> and very weird for me because I'm not used to. This is these are things you see in like ER or something. <laughs> like. This is like movie stuff, and I just felt like a fly on the wall, just kind of watching everything happening. Yeah. And long story short, um, they 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 gave me Ventolin, which mm. was supposed to fix the asthma issue. And it made it worse. And then they realized this is not asthma. Mm. Something else is going on. And by the grace of God, I tell you, um, because it is not a a, a public hospital, Mm. it just so happened that there was a cardiologist who was visiting a patient that he had there that day. That cardiologist only comes in on, like you'd say, like a Thursday. Mm. And that that day was a Saturday. And so they ran for him and he came and he's like, you know, what is this? And usually a heart rate, your, your regular heart rate on a normal day, if you're not exercising and all of that, should be like in your like 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, maybe like low 90s. Mm-hmm. Mine was 186. Wow. And climbing. And little did we know it was because of the Ventolin, or rather it was an episode I was right. having, but the Ventolin just made it worse. Right. And so, again, by the time we went through several permutations of medications and procedures that didn't work i was just kind of on the bed saying look guys we need to figure this out because <laughs> i'm not i'm not feeling very good right now and um you know they it, it they found the right medication thank mm. god mm. and i didn't really think too seriously of it until i looked at my mom i'll always say that that was what made me realize how serious the situation mm. was because she looked at me as if Oh my goodness, my child is dying. Yeah. And that kind of shook me a bit. Thankfully, they were able to identify what the problem was. And they treated, they, they started, you know, with that new medication. I'm a girl who's afraid of injections. Okay. Like, <laughs> I cannot explain to you how afraid. And when they said they had to inject, I was like, sit here, sit here. Come, come. <laughs> ready, ready, ready. Come, yeah. can't keep this up. This, yeah. is, this is not working. And, um, so that was when I was diagnosed with a heart condition mm-hmm. called supraventricular tachycardia. And a lot of people have it and don't know they have it. Okay. For you to be able to, diag- to be diagnosed with it, which was a blessing for me that mm-hmm. I was in a hospital yeah. having what was a very bad episode, yeah. um, which is not the norm. Mm-hmm. Many people have it and you feel a little palpitation and it goes. Okay. I was having a proper heart failure yeah. you know, issue. And um, that was when I was diagnosed with that. And, you know, I mean, my Trini, my Trini friends are extremely laid back. I mean, when I spoke to the doctor and I was like, so doc, you know, I mean, they gave me the medication. It, it, it helped. Mm-hmm. My chest opened up. I was able to breathe. And I was like, all right, good. I'm ready to go. You know, this is great. And they're like, no, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Where are you going? You're going to the room and you're going to stay there. You have to be on observation. And... Um, 
my, you know, when I asked the doctors, I said, how long could I have lived, you know, like this? And he's just like, oh, you could have lived another week. <laughs> and I was like, mm, you sure? Because <laughs> I didn't feel like I could have lived another week. Anyway, um, he treated me and gave me medication. And I found my, my, actually my project manager, Aaron, who I'd worked with at GK, he just happened, to, his father-in-law is a cardiologist. Okay. And so he's just like, look, oh my gosh, woman, I send you off for like a few days and you, you die or you almost <laughs> die. Like, what is wrong with you? And he put me on to his dad-in-law, who then became my cardiologist. And when I showed him my ECGs, he was like, what is this? It looked like a child scribbling something on a piece of paper. It was, it yeah, was very bad. Yeah. And so the bottom line was, you know, I, I still had not spoken to him. We were trying to figure out what the trigger was. The trigger was stress. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that until weeks later, after hundreds of episodes, yeah. literally, wearing a monitor that would say, you know, yeah. I did, a, I had a, I wore a halter monitor for two days as a test yeah. to see, okay, how many times has this happened to yeah. you? And in my head, I was like, I'm a realist. Psh, worst thing that could happen is I probably have this like 20 times yeah. in 48 hours. I mean, I certainly can't have it more yeah. than that, right? And the response came back from the doctor. You had 140 episodes in 48 hours. And I said, okay, that's, that's, that's a lot more than yeah. I expected. <laughs> a lot more. And he was just like, so tell me, you know, um, when I finally started telling him about what was going on at work and so on, he was just like, oh, no, I understand. Because I couldn't understand. It's like, look, you are on route for permanent heart failure. Mm -hmm. I said to him, okay, level with me. When I had this episode, what... What kind of timeline did I have, really? One doctor told me a week, and he laughed. <laughs> and he said, a week? You had minutes. Wow. And he said, what was happening to you and why you were feeling the way you did is because your heart stopped pumping oxygenated blood through your body. And so you were dying. Your organs were shutting down. You were dying. And that was a serious wake-up call. That was like, I'd never, I'd never, I think that just changed everything for me in that moment. And I thought about, you know, what that could have been like. I could have come back in a box. Um, my husband would have been left with a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And I said, you know, all right, so what's next? How do we work this out? And he says, well, you know, Mrs. Berwick, um, I've never told anyone to leave their jobs ever in my practice. But you see you, <laughs> he's like, you, you have, you have to make some decisions. And he told me very, very, you know, no, no, no holes barred. He was very, very candid with me. And um, I said to him, but doc. That's impossible. I have a mortgage. I have, <laughs> my son is going off to prep school shortly and my daughter is there and da, da 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 And there's no way I can leave my job. And then he said, oh, okay. Well, I guess, you know, life insurance can take care of the mortgage. <laughs> and um, if your husband doesn't have the mortgage to pay, then he can pay for the kids' school fees. Should Every, work out. Everything work out. Should work out. And I was like, you know, now that you put it that way. So... The months that ensued, I had some very difficult decisions to make. Um, interestingly, and I mean, this is where I, 
I'm living proof, I think, or at least my experience is proof that God does not take you beyond, you know, uh, where you you can manage. Um, and sometimes he will blow your mind with how he takes certain situations and turns them into sometimes your biggest blessings. Um, I had never just coming through the process of trying to make a decision as to whether or not I walk away from my corporate job of 14 years that looked like it was going somewhere, that had promise, that would have allowed me to afford what I needed to afford for my children, for, you know, my family. And to say I'm stepping out into no certain anything is a scary place to be. I can't tell you how scary. And... Just to say, okay, we're just going to live by faith now <laughs> and say, yeah, you know, okay, you're not really going to have that 25th or 28th of the month <laughs> safety net. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kiss all those wonderful vacations goodbye and you can. And, and I said, but, you know, again, what's important here? And I remember when I, I was on bed rest for a while and when I was going back to work, which was one of the biggest things that helped me to make my decision my daughter, first of all, I didn't, I, I was on bed rest for a month. I did not know my children. Mm. I realized at that point, for that month, that I did not know yeah. half of what was yeah. happening yeah. with my children. I didn't know that they could, I didn't know Jordan could speak as much as right. he could. I didn't know that Zara was, I had I, never really spent enough time yeah. in their presence to hear how they processed things. Yeah. And that was also a wake up call for me. And um, I remember the morning I went back to work. I, I mean, I started to kind of prepare Zara in particular mm-hmm. um, to say, okay, you know, mommy, um, mommy's going back to work, um, so and so. And that child held on to my leg, Sean, and I literally had to drag her to the door. She had on her school uniform, she was getting ready to go to school, and she held on to my leg and she said, please don't go. Please don't go. Yeah. I said, why don't you want mommy to go? She says, because I don't see you when you work. You come home late. And this is a four-year-old articulating yeah. to me yeah. where I was failing as a mother. Yeah. That's a hard thing to listen to. Mm-hmm. And still have to turn around and say, okay, baby, my mommy really has to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I said, all right. I wasn't sure about this whole situation. But if she says that I am failing her, then I'm failing It doesn't matter what I'm bringing into this house. It doesn't matter how much money I earn. It does not matter if I'm my mom first. Yeah. So I made up my mind at that point that, um, you know, I really, I didn't think it could continue as much as I would have loved to have seen where it could go. I would have loved to have seen more of what I could have offered, um, you know, I was sick. And that was the truth. That was just something that I, and not just was I sick, I was sick in more than just my body. Yeah. My relationship with my kids was yeah. sick. Yeah. Possibly my relationship with my husband too was, you know, it could have been much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are best friends. You know, we talk about everything. We And it was also a pure... I think he needed more therapy when I told him that I had to go home than I did. <laughs> because he's like, wait, what? <laughs> um, you're leaving this on me? Are you crazy? 
And it was the same kind of, you know, speaking through, okay, well, you know, the life insurance could pay for certain things. It's just like, all right, stop. <laughs> just, this is, we'll just work it out. So the point is that, you know, and, and, and Grace was very gracious um, with me um, and, you know, helping me through that, that time. Um, my, my, I had an amazing set of bosses. All right. I, I don't like the word bosses, but I had an amazing set of mentors and leaders who really looked out for me, looked out for my best interest and were like, you know, look, um, you know, you have to make a decision and whatever you decide will support you. And, um, and so I left, I guess, you know, in, <laughs> in probably the best way I could have left, um, and interestingly, what happened afterwards was just mind-blowing because I was on three medications a day. Mm -hmm. At 35, for heart condition, mm -hmm. that's, that's bad. <laughs> that's really bad. Yeah. You probably should only be on a few vitamins and some... Some cod liver oil. Some feral, something. But <laughs> yeah, that was bad. And by the time I left... Um, came out of the corporate space and, uh, you know, and by the way, this is another kind of other segue. It's very important that you have more than one stream of income. No matter what you're doing. No matter what yeah. you're doing. Yep. Because you never know yeah. when you're going to fire your job or your job is going to fire you. Yeah. Meaning, not in yeah. the in literals, no, you know. You're right. You never know when that safety right. net is going to be pulled away right. for whatever reason. I think I think COVID is a great example of that. Absolutely. I had you know had friends who were had thriving businesses, mm -hmm. and guess what? Schools close. Mm -hmm. So whatever you're selling to the school, stop selling. Mm -hmm. No. So what? No. Right. Yeah. Right. Or and and whatever whatever business was thriving. Yeah. You then you realize what was recession proof or what yeah. was pandemic proof yeah. and what wasn't, yeah. and um, and even with my photography business, I had to pivot. I had yeah. to make up my mind to pivot mm. because my wedding business, my right. property business, that yeah. side of my business, yeah. which would have been the you know the the the, the heavier earning yeah. for me, just disappeared yeah. for two years. Yeah. You know, so. Whatever that is, and by the way, companies, I think, also need to get with it. <laughs> <laughs> companies hire a whole person. Mm -hmm. It's not just the part that you need yeah. that comes to work. So you also have to be ready and willing to support the whole person. I think, I think for some companies, the pandemic has brought a thought. Absolutely. Because before... You are just Sean Reed who show up every day nine to five. Mm -hmm. No, you're Sean Reed who's on a Zoom call and you see doing horror with his daughter, whatever the case you is. Realize, so, that's Sean Reed the human. The human. That's Sean exactly. Reed the father. Sean yeah. Reed the husband. Sean yeah. Reed the breadwinner. Yeah. Sean Reed the whatever else. Yeah. And so and I'm happy for that. And again, there's always a blessing yeah. in it. Yeah. Um and so I think companies if it's a it's a it's an archaic way of thinking that your employees are only going to be loyal to you yeah. and nothing else that every breathing waking moment is supposed to be spent doing your work that's just not and plus we're jamaican for crying out loud everybody have three jobs <laughs> <laughs> and then when you go foreign a five <laughs> so you know you have to you have to allow your employees to as long as it's not and i'll always say it, as long as it's not um conflicting 
embrace the fact that your employees have more than one. They're multidimensional. Right. Because they're also bringing bits and pieces of that experience to bear in your business. And the other thing I'll say to you is that you mentioned something about entrepreneurship and you have a... You 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 have a, th- a passion for entrepreneurship, and you you believe that employees should yeah. exercise their options. Let me tell you something. Um, where I had the opportunity to hire, I hired entrepreneurs who were professionals, mm-hmm. or I tried to ensure that that was in yeah. the mix. Why? Somebody who understands how business works will treat your business like their business. Mm. So they will understand that what they're doing for the company every day is far more than what they are doing for the company every day. They will have a good understanding of how what they're doing impacts finances or the the, the financial position of the company, how what they're doing impacts the customers of the company, even if you're not customer-facing. They'll understand, they'll understand true customer service in whatever space they're in because yeah. everybody who works in a company is a customer service agent. Yeah. You may have a different title, mm-hmm. but you're a customer service agent. Yeah. Why? Because you're serving somebody. Correct. Whether you're serving another department, yeah. whether you're serving your manager, whether you as a manager is serving your employees, yeah. you are serving somebody. Yeah. That's why you're there. So when I see someone who has that understanding in addition to the technical capacity to do X, Y, and Z, you're likely to have a winner because that person isn't just coming to just sit there and count whatever and do yeah. the little minimum yeah. and go back at them. Yeah. Yeah. They're seeing bi- the business on a wider scale. They have yeah. a big picture look um, outlook and you, you, can't, you really can't pay for that value. You know what I mean? Um, so... So those are some of the things that I think are important to note. But coming back to my, my, my journey, because I tell you, we were going to go on all kinds of side <laughs> roads, right? Um, that, that, that period after I left was, was an epiphany for me. Um, I literally, my doctor took me off of every single one of my medications over the period of six months that I was now home. My stress levels were now of a different nature because I'm now home. (laughs) So now I've gone from 14 years of being managed or being led or, you know, having a a strategy or uh, whatever set out. And you say, okay, this is your part and you're supposed to do this part to, okay, so today's Monday and I have to decide what I'm going to do today. And I have to decide how I'm going to do it. And I have to ensure that whatever I do today, tomorrow, and the following day will allow me to pay this, this, that, and the other next week. And, oh, yes, I have this to pay and I have that to pay and I have this to, and then that. And now my whole financial structure of management, and I'm not the finance person in my household. My husband is. I'm now no longer planning for the 28th of every month. Mm -hmm. I'm now planning for the 5th, the 10th, yeah. <laughs> the 15th, yeah. Yeah. the whatever. And to ensure that whatever has to happen between now and then, whether you have clear, a clear idea of how you're going to earn it or not, you better figure it out. Yeah. Because now your 
your family is dependent on you being very resourceful. And if that is if you have a family, even if you don't have a family and you're a single person, you're wholly and solely dependent on yourself yeah. um, to ensure that you're doing whatever needs to happen to earn. And sometimes that had nothing to do with me physically earning anything. It had to do with me managing what I had. Mm -hmm. It had to do with me encouraging my husband um, or managing what he got mm. and to say, okay, we're not going to do this this month. We're not going to do that because mm. we have this to pay. We have school fees to pay. We have da -da 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 -da. So I guess I have several different things that could be applied to people at different points of their, in their lives mm. or, or in their career journey or whatever it is. The entrepreneur, the person who's looking to step out of their nine to five to move into uh, uh, a purely, you know, I work for myself yeah. type situation. Um, you know, I would say, you know, to that person and anybody really, anybody who has an interest in more than one thing, who wants to do more than one thing, who is a creative and a corporate animal like myself or whatever else it is. Um, one of the lessons that I learned coming up is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with being both. There's nothing wrong with being both because there are benefits to both that you can find the most amazing way to put it together for your purposes. You can learn the lessons from your corporate space that you can apply to your own business. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be one or the other, as long as you have the capacity to manage both. That's one. Two, it's best if you start out first in a safe space. And when I say a safe space, meaning one that you have you have a steady income. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about what happens if this falls out. And double while you have and that. Seat. Double while you can. Because guess what? You know, for most people, you have two days a week mm -hmm. that you really don't owe to anybody. Yeah. That is a time that you should be capitalizing on building your passions, yeah. your passion projects, building that future business, yeah. doing your business plans, starting to network, testing the waters, offering the service on a small scale yeah. to your friends and your family to see how yeah. is this for me? Um, how can I differentiate myself in this market? Da -da 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 -da. Your weekends are yours. And a lot of people are so tired at the end of a work week and they're just like, oh, thank God, Netflix time. <laughs> but it all depends on where your headspace is. If you're really serious about building... Um, towards that future self, that future business, that future empire, because a lot of people know who they are. They are a tycoon sitting at a call center desk waiting yeah. for life to start. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> there's so much you can be doing, but you have to have the vision, the drive, and the stick to itiveness if you're going to make something of it. Um, nothing comes easy now. Well, few things come easy now. <laughs> um, and I paused because I look at all of these YouTube millionaires that my children mm -hmm. watch. Not to say that it came easy, but it certainly didn't come as hard as 30 years of working <laughs> at a company, you know, building yourself up through the ranks. Um, so, you know, the point is that if you're really serious about it, you'll make it happen. And you, you can absolutely do more than one thing.
okay, so you have done a thousand different jobs, a thousand different <laughs> income streams. <laughs> right? I wish. Right? Um, what's, you know, what's next for you? Oh, gosh, I ask myself that question every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I say I ask myself that question every day because my, my path isn't as clearly charted anymore. And that can be a good thing. And that can be a very scary thing. Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, back when I was in corporate, I saw a very clear path. Yeah, you're going to be this, and then you're going to be that, and then you're going to be... Because that's the natural progression mm. of, you know, the corporate condition. You're supposed to be promoted and grow and at some point either end up to be, in my case, either a chief human resources officer or some other, sorry, senior position. With this, it's such a wide open thing that I can technically do anything I want to do. And that's scary because do I know enough to make the right choice, to follow the right path from here? Do I just go with it the way I've been going with it, um, putting myself in different spaces to learn new things and hopefully figure it out on the way? Um, or do I sit down and have a, 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 strategy, you know, a, strategy management me a strategic management meeting with myself and say, <laughs> all right, Kerry, look here now. This is where you need to get to. This is how you're going to do it. How are you, you know? Um, I think this is where the... the um, that same thing that you spoke about, the philanthropy comes in, where at this point, I'm no longer as focused on where to go next for my growth. It's more a matter of what to do next for someone else's growth. I think at this point, I'm now more vested in creating a legacy for my children for my family. Um, I've always joked about it. I'm I'm so morbid, it's bad. Where I always say, oh, we don't already have one foot through the door, you know? <laughs> so, um, but, and it's a bad thing and it's a good thing because I have more of a sense of urgency to do as much as I can while I can because anything you have, any card can play. I am, technically speaking, more likely to kick the bucket before many of my family members, mm. some of my family members, but then nobody knows when that's going to happen. Exactly. So the good thing about it is that it gives me that sense of urgency to really push and get as much out of life as I can humanly possibly get experience as much as I can give as much as I can do as much as I can which again if you're not properly managed can lead to burnout mm. and probably put you through the door <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know but that's really what I want to do at this point um I want to now be more focused on enjoying my life enjoying my children enjoying my family and whatever whatever happens to en to enable me to do that from a financial perspective, I'm open to it. Um, I'm not close to any one opportunity. I'm just like, shoot, if it can be done, I'm going to do it, you know? So that's where I am. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you want to dive into a similar What Next episode, check out the links in the podcast description or head to the whatnextpodcast.com. And remember, make it your mission to make somebody else's day better.